Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 178. I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. And this week... I was almost going to say, say, I'm Ryan. Sorry. (laughs) Adam, I wish you were Ryan and you wouldn't be here. Okay, so... (laughs) This week, uh, we've got uh, WandaVision episode eight. We are so close to the finale. Uh, we've got all the juiciest news. Clark's got something. Watch out. And as always, this week's issues. Uh, Adam, do you want to start us off with that, uh, that there, WandaVision? I sure do. WandaVision's penultimate episode picks up immediately after number seven with Wanda and the audience getting an exposition dump and history flashback of everyone's favorite dog murderer, Agatha Harkness. As either an evil witch or a witch driven to evil during the Salem witch time period, Agatha has been pushing and prodding Wanda, including illusioning her dead brother, in the hex to figure out how Wanda even has the power to have created it. Agatha and Wanda take a trip through memory lane focused on critical moments in Wanda's life so far, her childhood in Sokovia when the Stark missiles hit, her burgeoning adulthood, particularly her first exposure to the Mind Stone, as well as her personal fallout from Age of Ultron. Wrapping up with her shield visit, uh, her visit to Shield for Vision, along with her journey to Westview, that kicked off the show's series of events. Back in the hex, Agatha has taken Wanda's children hostage, having realized her probability powers and power potential make her none other than the Scarlet Witch. In a post-credit scene, we find out that the body of Vision, now white, has been built stronger, smarter, faster, but without a soul, leading us straight into the finale. Um, what are your overall episode impressions, Brent? Uh, all I could think of watching this episode was how it has rehabilitated two of the worst characters in the MCU to being two I am the most interested in. Because while, like, you know, every story has has to suffer some exposition, as far as an exposition exposition dump goes, this was one of the most emotionally satisfying walking through this process that I didn't really, you know, we've heard of, you know, the radicalization and her being next to the Stark bomb, but actually having like nice character moments, uh, seeing the current Wanda suffer through them again, made it this whole series feel worth it and emotionally resonant. Do you think it really redeemed Darcy that much? No, no. (laughs) No, uh, there's always there's always unnecessary ornamentation. Um, but also, but think about it this way, Clark. Was Darcy in this episode? Great episode. Why, yeah. That she was in the vision suit in the post-credit scene, I yeah. thought. <laughs> yeah. It's just you she walks in and it's just Darcy underneath. Um, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. I love the fact that you know this is Wanda's story. And it's been, it's just so wonderful to watch her growth and from the introduction and I guess really at the end of uh, Winter Soldier, but obviously Avengers, um, just she's the most well-developed female character in the MCU, which I think is fantastic and is very cool um, because they keep building on layers and layers of this character and, and her and Vision in particular just become more and more interesting, uh, which, you know, it's, it's such a great indication, too, of what they can do with Marvel TV, because there's no way that this type of story could have ever worked um, as a movie. Uh, I agree, Brent. I really liked all of the, it was obviously an exposition episode. It, it followed the kind of Netflix model where they always take a step back um, to kind of do some sort of, you know, history lesson, I think, leading up to a finale. But it did really work because you, I think I just really, we care about these characters and we've seen a lot of, of her journey. And, you know, I think Catherine Hahn's still doing her best Catherine Hahn. I loved that there was still that juxtaposition of kind of that playful nature of her as a witch and as a villain, um, even while all these emotional moments were going on. I think all of it just really hit for me and I, I greatly enjoyed it. Caleb? Um, it's amazing to me how powerful that they've made Wanda and they've still kept her really, really interesting um, because the big swerve in this episode was um, that it wasn't the remnants of vision that she took from swords facilities and rebuilt him. She created a whole new vision. Um, and uh, I, I was, 
I was actually pretty floored by that because um, I did not expect that at all. Because uh, the rest of the episode, well, I thought it was really good. It definitely, um, I think a lot of us had predicted certain things that were going to happen. Like uh, we knew that, you know, the, the, the white ghostly version of Vision would be in this show somehow. Uh, the reason that um, we are seeing all the homages to various sitcoms over the years is because of something that, you know, was part of her childhood in Sokovia. I mean, that was clearly in the text in this episode. But the fact that, like, her grief uh, created this idyllic uh, version of Westview and then created Vision himself, uh, the fact that there are two Visions running around, uh, one of which obviously cannot, uh, the one that we've been seeing all along in this in this series, cannot exist outside of Westview. Um, but I, I, I just, I think it opens up a ton of storytelling potential, specifically around Wanda. Adam? Are you telling me that the show is experiencing double vision? No, I'm okay. not. <laughs> I, hate that. I, I hate that. I hate that, but I do kind of like Cataract as a name of a program that brings <laughs> white vision. <laughs> uh, I also, I want to add one thing about uh, my, I love hate when stories try to retroactively like claim history we know. So like the fact that Agatha Harkness is at the Salem, you know, witch trials, yeah. whatever. It, it means that the phrase a witch hunt is a, we're not, we're not going after someone for fake reasons. There are real witches and we should hunt them down. But you I see mean, the witches were hunting the witches. So it wasn't like yeah. common folk hunting the witches in this, in this particular scenario. I Were you guys excited? Oh, sorry, Clark. I don't think Agatha Hark Harkness is a villain. Well, right, yeah, I mean, you, I think for this, she's going to be clearly like the antagonist towards the ending. You think they're going to team up against White Vision? Like, what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. For, to me, she's not. I mean, she's killing things that don't exist. She killed the dog um, that's not really a dog. It's a creation. That's, I mean, it's, it's a dog, but it's not a dog. And they're children, but not children. So she's choking out some kids that don't really exist, but kind of exist and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, whatever. Someone on, someone on Twitter uh, joked, why don't those kids just step back? Um, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> That's actually very good. But, but uh, I, I, when I watch it on second viewing, the way that she characterizes her experience with magic as being this intellectual, educated, studied mm -hmm. exercise and tries to like walk Wanda through it and explain stuff to her that she assumes she already knew. Um, to me, it got more of a mentor feel that I think I'd like to see that character move into rather than someone who gets destroyed by the end of this. Caleb? Yeah, um, that's, I think that's exactly where they're going towards this. And that's, that's who she is in the comics. Uh, yeah. I mean, she was right. first introduced as um, Franklin Richards' nanny for the Fantastic Four, and then eventually became uh, a mentor type uh, person for, for Wanda so m having her being an out and out villain just doesn't make sense and I think it would be a waste of Agatha or excuse me of Catherine Hahn's uh, talents I'd like having a little making her a little bit more of a, a, a gray coat uh, just opens up more story potential Adam I was going to say the funniest part about it is like as catchy as uh, the number one chart topping Agatha all along is it really, as uh, my boyfriend put out, it wasn't her at all about anything. I mean, granted, she yes. was trying to yeah. figure out what the fuck was happening, but like she did literally nothing. It was all... Agatha didn't do much at all. <laughs> it's just like the most, it's like great, it worked. It was such a catchy hit. And like, obviously she's still fucking around with stuff. But yeah, I think there, I think starting from that, you were assuming that there was going to be something really happening. And instead I was like, no, she's just like, just as mixed it's up as Agatha else. nearby yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Agatha conveniently around. Oh my gosh. Caleb? They've also established that Wanda had her powers from the very beginning, right. um, rather than getting the powers through one of the one of the infinity stones uh, and through Baron Strucker's experiments. So um, maybe retconning the fact that she could be a mutant, who knows? Um, 
but I, I definitely liked that. And I definitely liked how the, um, the flashback that showed the Stark bomb in their apartment uh, mirrored the toaster commercial okay. from the first episode where it's just blinking and they're like waiting for something to happen. Clearly it's Wanda who has prevented it from it going off rather than it being defective. Brent? So one thing that we will definitely talk about when we have our complete season uh, recap of this um, is how they utilize color schemes in this show um, and in particular red and blue. Um, But in this episode in particular, I kind of liked that the chaos magic is red and all of the witches had blue except for Agatha who, you know, dipped into some of the chaos magic. So her blue plus red became kind of purple. Uh, so when finally she's called the Scarlet Witch, I don't know if it's a mantle. I kind of like the idea. Yeah, you're a witch and you've got chaos magic associated with you. Adam. No, I'm 100% agree with you. I really liked their them creating a reason for her to have that moniker. Like, I mean, it, it seemed, especially on rewatch, like Agatha pretty much spelled it out. It's like, you're the, you know, <laughs> thing I probably read about in a book somewhere, which I thought was very cool. Um, I will say, uh, she definitely looks more villainous towards the end, but Catherine Hodges looks fucking crazy as hell in like a bunch of makeup <laughs> and a weird ass dress. I just thought her eyebrows are like sickening beyond belief. <laughs> They're just, there's she no edge. They're looks, like going to cut the kids in half, I think, when she turns. <laughs> she looks so ragged in the last <laughs> shot. Like, why did you guys whiten out her face? Like, give her the most smoky eye. Every other decade, she looks fantastic, (laughs) except for today. Uh, Or at least, like, some matching, like, do some white hair. Like, she just looked like a bad menagerie of witch cliches as opposed to, like, a real iconic uh, costume or look. So I want to ask a question because there was a theory going around. um, And the post-credit sequence, we see the white vision activated by a glowing red 1980s drone um it comes online and begins to kind of like look at its hand a lot of people uh or some people speculated that maybe there's some part of ultron which has been reactivated what do you guys think of that theory would you have any interest in it uh is there anything worth pursuing there as far as the story goes i was worried about that when it first happened before we saw white vision knowing white vision was going to come back but just no- thinking that they could have do like a double surprise with both <laughs> double surprise with white vision and ultron um i don't know i hope not Kayla. yeah i i agree with clark i hope not too having rewatched um age of ultron quite recently because you have to when you finish watching any episode of wandavision <laughs> disney plus just makes you watch it um but uh you know hoping that maybe it was better than I remembered. And no, it isn't, um, even though it does have some okay elements. Like, Ultron is just such a misfire in that movie that um, I, if they did bring Ultron back, like, I don't even want James Spader to do the voice. I would rather right. it be completely uh, revamped. And there's that's a way to do it, because Ultron has, like, several different, like, generations within the comics. You've got Ultron 1, 5, 10, 44, you know, it just keeps going and going. Adam? I was going to say, Matt Shankman, uh, the sort of writer or showrunner, seems to be very, like, on the proactive side of telling people, like, I I don't think a lot of stuff's going to come true, (laughs) like, based on all the rumors (laughs) that are out there. So I'm going to assume that it's going to be a pretty nice little bow of all the existing characters already. And maybe they'll have a Doctor Strange introduction at the end, but I'm not even buying that necessarily. I feel like there, you know, I think a lot of the wow factor has come and gone, which is great. I mean, Evan Peters coming in and obviously the Agatha reveal. I think there's been enough really big moments that I'm like, just stick the landing of telling this nice character driven story. And I'll love this phase for launch so much more than I would if you introduced fucking Reed Richards and Mephisto and <laughs> Ultron 2.0 and all that sort of stuff, Brent. Well, I love that whole thing because i think that the vehicle of tv for the mcu is so great because when you watch a movie you can make a ton of predictions and then you watch the one movie and you forget about all the predictions you made 
But as you're watching each episode, you've got new predictions every single week. And so the show does a, is just as it exists, does a great job of saying, hey guys, maybe lower your expectations a little bit about what's coming next. It's all gonna be fine, but it's not gonna be big, huge reveal, big, huge reveal, because when we give you a big, huge reveal, we want it to matter. Yeah. Any, sure. Were there any Easter eggs that stuck out to people? I was trying. They kind of obviously started toning that down. There was no commercial. Um, we're back kind of in the real world. I wasn't sure there was anything beyond the obvious white vision from Vision Quest and things like that. Brent? Uh, one of the runes that was on the in the spell chamber in Agatha's basement looked like an M. Um, and then there was another one that looked like a lowercase Q, but I'm guessing the M is just House of M, but I don't know what the Q would be. Uh, Q, I, Q and on, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was she, like, was, yeah. she was kidnapping those kids. This is a perfect fit for Q and on. She is Q. <laughs> I lost my shit because I read online. There was like, I think it was probably CBR or some stupid bullshit that was like, check out this continuity error. And it was basically uh-huh. just like the room from the room, like her room in Civil War. And then her room in this had like some changing uh, items. And I was like, that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever read in my entire life. Caleb? The only real continuity error, and this is like, what it's not even that big a deal, is when they're in her memory of being in the apartment in Sokovia and they have the box of DVDs. This happened in 1999. And there's a DVD of... Uh, of Malcolm in the Middle, a show that didn't premiere till 2000, and the DVD didn't even come out until like 2001, 2002, I'm guessing. So it's like, oh, okay, but it's a memory. So, you know, sometimes memories can play tricks on you, having a bit of the Mandela effect, which Brent, I think you were about to say, make a similar comment Yeah, no, I, I, actually, I actually like that. I like that when, when she's in the 80s or whatever, 90s, that uh, 2000s that she has the parent trap and the Incredibles like yeah this is chaos magic through the lens of Wanda's brain so it creates this universe and it doesn't get everything right um, my I wasn't really an Easter I guess it was more of a favorite moment my favorite moment was how much Agatha hated children it made me very happy when she was yelling at Oh. Um, my favorite was the Dick Van Dyke episode. That was her favorite episode, which is the one that's just a, basically a daydream that he has because he watched a really fucked up um, sci-fi movie the night before, which he wakes up and all of his family are like robotic alien clone people. And there's an entire room full of um, walnut that fall out and everyone falls out. And there's some sort of weird glowing gem that's within one of the walnuts. It's just bizarre and kind of on point a lot. And I don't know. It's definitely the weirdest episode of that show they ever did. So I just have a quick question for y'all. I know the finale is coming out. Uh, Actually, when this episode drops, the finale will already be out. Uh, But I'm- And it's an hour and 30 minutes long. (laughs) Which means it's actually only 35 minutes because the closing credits are 40 minutes. Um, But- I'm wondering, is there anything more to Dottie than we know? Because, um, you know, I went back and rewatched um, all the episodes this week. Uh, you have Agnes in episode two, I want to say, where they said, you know, Dottie is like the queen bee, the head of everything. And like, you can't really piss her off. And then Dottie keeps going, you know, who are you? Why are you here? It could be that she's just a normal resident of Westview that is just like, and like her, um, the facade was like dropping a little bit. Or is there something more about her? That I don't know. But question for y'all. It's a good question because when we saw the town in its kind of derelict post uh, snap state uh, or like just after the blip, um, we did not see her character at all as being one of the schlubs who's like got you know sad groceries or sitting next to the world's worst cafe um so i definitely think there's room for her um i don't know what that would be what are sad groceries like what items make a sad grocery 
Uh, like like you you look at the bag and it's like a brown paper bag and it's like crumpled in half and then mm-hmm. there's a baguette like all all the items that are sticking out of it are sagging and they're like a slight gray tone also it's all the not the knockoff it's like it's not high oreos it's hydrox it's not like <laughs> it's not it's not cheese it's, it's cheese nips it's like it's like oh you're not getting mountain dew you're getting like you know Asta. mountain mountain drink or whatever they're called did you know that there was a knockoff for a knockoff of Oreos called Hydrax? <laughs> Is there? I hate that. I hate that. Uh, so no, much. it's 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 a joke from a TV show. If, okay. if you have one bet, I'm gonna hail Hydrax that joke. <laughs> I do like that. If you have I one bet for next week, uh, what is it? What's like the one, really simply, what's like one sentence, what will happen? I think old vision will die. I like really hope they keep some element of like this, like they can create something new, but I want it, I need like someone to stay dead in the the MCU a little bit. Kayla. Uh, White vision will stick around and he'll become uh, a hero, but he won't have the personality of the Jarvis vision. Right. Brand. Um, I think that Tyler Hayward's plan is going to fail, but he's going to get a promotion and fail upward. <laughs> uh, I think the kids are going to not exist again, except for we're going to find out that they do, which may, will be confusing as hell for everybody because we're not, we're not going to not have them in the future. Well, yeah. Do you think they'll like? Do you think they'll disappear now and then come back somewhere else? They'll, like they'll come back in Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. yeah, and they'll come back older. Right. Like I do hope. I actually like that idea because I'd rather they not like age by the end of this series or be aged as those same people. I'd like for some somehow for maybe them to come somewhere else and they're still her kids, but they're not the kids from this this series, and they can kind of start an, a fresh uh, and a new uh cool well this week is the finale so set your clocks wake up at 3 a.m and watch that fucking finale before anyone else does because this shit's gonna get spoiled can i share one last thought because i finally got my husband tristan to watch it and he binged through all of it uh and it's just like great now i get to see the finale i don't even have to wait for the episodes to come out and so i asked him what were you what he's i asked what were your thoughts on the last episode and he said no. That's all he said. <laughs> what does that yes. mean? <laughs> he said he was. He said no. He just said he no. Did. I wasn't getting any information on what he thinks. So oh. that's Tristan's oh. corner. Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, wait. Wow, he, that he dinner table must be fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Okay. Now, now, now I'm curious. He didn't have. He didn't want to share his thoughts, or he didn't have any thoughts. Because those are two different things. Yeah. Well, when we were watching earlier episodes, we would, uh, I would say like, what are your theories? And he's like, well, I can come up with a bunch of theories. And then he just started rattling off ideas like someone's controlling Wanda, Wanda's responsible. Maybe it's the military. Maybe it's some organization I've never heard of. I can come up with theories. The, what the actual, the reason why he said that is because he just didn't want to have to listen to Brent's theories after he was done talking about mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I'm very quiet. I don't, I don't share unless he asks. No, 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 no. What or, Tristan will do, what Tristan will do is once like the show ends, he's he's like, I knew all along, and he'll just be taking Brent's theories because <laughs> he's going to be gaslighting all of us, including us. Like, you didn't see that, yeah. yeah. Like a lot of people thought it was AIM, but I knew it wasn't AIM. <laughs> That's what he's going to say. <laughs> Mephisto, get the fuck out of here, you idiot! Yeah, come on. Like they're going to bring a devil into this show. It's a Disney show. <laughs> All right. Anything else? It's a news flash. Ooh. All right. So first up, we just found out uh, today, in fact, that cable uh, is ending with issue number twelve. They're saying it's canceled, but I just think uh, Jerry Dugan told a story that he wanted to tell over twelve issues, and it's just a reminder that solo X books usually don't last very long unless your name is Wolverine. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
of course, Cable is going to continue as a character in Sword, probably be around in a lot of the other like Reign of X books, including X-Men. So the character's not going very, very far. Um, I'm enjoying this run very much. Don't get me wrong. I just think there's just so much you can do with the character and then you're just kind of done with him. But any thoughts from y'all? The end of the information they provided worries me that they're going to get him old man E again. Yeah. Combine look the color cover. Excuse me, is combining the two for issue eleven. I don't know. I don't like every single moment when they bring they show him at the very end of an episode issue. I'm not excited for old man Cable at all. I would Adam um, to that point. I agree. I'm 100 agree with you, Clark. I'm almost thinking in terms of like what could make that interesting for me. Certainly not getting rid of Young Cable because I like him a lot as a character and I think it's a lot of new, fun, fresh flavor for the Summers family, but also just in general because Cable is such a vestige of the 90s, I feel like, and that kind of extreme era. But I'm almost wondering, and I kind of might enjoy if like it ends where maybe their brains are synced, but maybe it's only like Young Cable's physical body. So I, I know that's kind of like a trope to always have like, a mentor or something, but I find the idea of being mentored by your older self in your own brain kind of interesting. Like, sort of like, don't make the same fucking mistakes I did. Um, but I don't know how they would like play with that. I think it could be kind of fun. I just, I really hope they don't. He's far more young. Cable is far more interesting than the young X Men were. So I really hope they don't mm -hmm. uh, try to bring back old Cable because I agree that there's not really a whole lot there for me, Brent. Um, I do like this run. I, if it, if it is decided because, you know, Dugan's just decided, I don't want to tell any more of this story. I think that's okay. I think that there's enough, you know, area that has been covered on this young cable to give us a full enough personality for future writers to build off of. If it was the case that we had a young cable and we didn't get to explore what it's like to be this like fun teen who you know, is still kind of like militarily mindset, but wants to have a relationship with his parents. You know, if we didn't have that, it would make K Young Cable be a completely pointless exercise. So I think this was fruitful. It's hard to compete when you've got so many other X titles that are doing really great storytelling. But I think that this was, you know, it was excellent. If it's just 12, that's okay. Right. If it's, you know, don't, don't run out of uh, room to expand. Completely agree. All right, moving on. Uh, looks like there might be another Superman film uh, for uh, produced by J.J. Uh, Abrams' Bad Robot. Looks like they're trying to get Ta-Nehisi Coates, who uh, is an essayist and is also uh, completing runs on both Black Panther and Captain America for Marvel. And the theory is right now that it will not be Clark Kent, Cal L. Superman, but rather a Superman of a different parallel universe uh, who is president in that universe, and he's also African-American. His uh, alter ego is Calvin uh, Ellis. I almost called him Calvin Harris. I'm like, no, he's not the DJ. Uh, it's, it's Calvin <laughs> Ellis. Uh, and he's kind of an Obama-esque uh, president slash Superman. And he's featured in uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of DC comics, including Multiversity. He's going to be part of a group called the Justice Incarnate, which is like a bunch of different like DC heroes from different parallel universes. Um, I don't necessarily need to see another Superman movie, but if, if there is going to be one, focusing on this is fantastic. If only to see the meltdown on like <laughs> right wing social media and like the comic skate type types and Fox News and God knows what else. I, I'm, I'm just very, very curious about how they're going to try to weave in cancel culture with this and saying, oh, white Superman is canceled. It's time for black Superman now. Yeah, fuck you. Whatever, this looks great. Or it could be great. And you know Henry Cavill's gonna not give three shits. He's gonna be like, go right ahead. Right. And oh, for people, sure. will be, people, will be, people will be mad at him because he's not like supporting the white man or something fucking horrible. He's too yeah. busy building uh, computer rigs on his like Facebook or YouTube channel. I thought you were gonna say his chest. No, no, he's like <laughs> a huge gamer. It's so funny and very hot. But <laughs> he should probably stick to doing that because he's not really he's okay as a menacing superman that hopefully we will never have to see again <laughs> um i like this decision i'll be interested to see who they pick as a director um but i think ta-nehisi Coates does a really great job 
of, you know, building out a very large space for heroes to explore and be in, but also being very good at individual characters and their motivations and internal processes. Um, you know, he's not a perfect comic writer, but I think, you know, he's done a really good job. And I think this will be a very interesting movie, especially because it's, you know, got to be more condensed than the sprawl that comics have. Kaylin? So I think um, if there is a, like a, like a co-scripter or a script doctor or somebody to help him, I would be much more excited for this. Clark and I were actually talking off podcast about how Coates has good ideas, but he is not suited for the comic medium. And I think screenwriting um, is a little bit similar in that regard as well, because it's a collaborative, it's a collaborative process. It's not just about your words. It's about mm -hmm. how your words get interpreted in comics. Of course, it's through illustration in film, uh, television, it's how uh, it's directed and how the actors actually speak your words. So having somebody like obviously, you know, get a, get the right director, get the right cast, but having somebody who can do do justice to the script, uh, I think would give me a little bit more confidence because he's a phenomenal essayist, but uh, his comics have just left me cold. Is that like the Neil Gaiman effect, like with Good Omens? Remember how we? I mean, I know that we we're like keep him, keep him close, but keep him farther a little bit away in terms of like not complete control. Or, well, yeah, I, I worry less about that because it's still Superman, and it's like like he's a commodity of of Time Warner, uh, AOL Time Warner, excuse me. Uh, Ryan's not here to like keep uh, keep me in check <laughs> with all the contract stuff, but. Um, but so it's it's not really his property. So like there's gonna be a, for good or for ill, there's gonna be a lot of like hands like on this Fair. project. But yeah. um, but I I just think it it would behoove DC to have somebody who knows how to do screenwriting along with store whatever stories uh, or ideas that Tana Hasey comes up with. Clark, so I don't think I'm as negative about it right now as you are, even though we talked about it earlier this week, um, because this isn't gonna be a 25 issue series it's not going to be i don't know True. 12 hours of movie or something uh i mean i I, ha I need to go back and read all the black panther stuff but i did read all of his captain america stuff this week and it's fine for like it, it, two issues but none of it, it connects it, it's just bizarre haphazard <laughs> not super interesting just because it, it's just interlaced nonsense I don't know why Celine is so important and then she's gone for five issues, but suddenly she's the most important thing. And then she's got, it, it's very dumb. Sorry. Now, now I don't like what he's going to be doing for two, for a movie. <laughs> 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 that, really turned out. Well. that really turned fast. Uh, <laughs> I've got a lightning round cast that role. If this is going to be about uh, the sort of alternative version, uh, Calvin Superman, who would you cast in that role? I think Henry Cavill is a great choice. <laughs> great answer. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> uh, Kayla? Uh, Michael B. Jordan. Interesting. I like it. I'm uh, Idris Elba myself. I was like, I think Idris. I think he's too. I think he's too old now. Too old. Oh, see, I want. I think he's. I think Michael B. Jordan's too young. I like want like the older. He's like thirty. Like, he's like thirty-three. Give me my daddy, Superman. Give me my daddy, Superman. <laughs> Oh God, now I gotta um, Google people's ages. For some reason, the first person I thought of was Michael Jamal Warner. Family <laughs> 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 matters. Done. Oh um, no, I, Adam, likes his kingdom, Adam likes his kingdom come Superman, C-U-M. <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's move on. Yeah, okay. So um, <laughs> the latest victim of cancel culture is <laughs> Comic-Con. Um, they have decided to cancel 2021 uh, Comic-Con in San Diego again, because guess what? We still have a pandemic going on. So they're, they decided to postpone it till 2022, but wouldn't they just call it Comic-Con 2022? It's an annual event. Just say, we're not doing it again this year, guys. We may do virtual stuff like we did last year, yeah. but uh, it, it just seems kind of a, a silly way to like spin it. But I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that idea is so funny that they're like, what if we postponed? Like we've already had to postpone Comic-Con 2020. 
we are doing Comic-Con 2020 in 2022. So all the stuff that came out, they've got like a special corner where they're like, here's all the new releases and all the people that were supposed to come do panels on shows that have already come out. Oh yeah. Uh, I would love that. <laughs> like they forced that's, you to be like, go back in time two years. <laughs> that's really funny. I like that. And then I like afterwards when it's done for them to say they have decided they have to cancel uh, 2021 and 2022 entirely. <laughs> but then the next one is 2023. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, that's actually good marketing too. It's like, they could be like, in light of Comic-Con 2021 being posted in 2022, we will be canceling Comic-Con 2022. We'll see you at Comic-Con 2023. Or they <laughs> like, do this the like... Fuck? <laughs> they do like the thing that like comics do where they like rename things horribly. Uh, or renumber things horribly, where they're just like every year. So in 2022, it's Comic Con 2020, but in 2023, it's Comic Con 2021, and they just keep that lag going through they, time. I would, I could. The best thing that I could see them really doing if they were real comic people is that they would do one right at the beginning of 2022 called Comic Con Alpha, and then do one at the end of 2022 called Comic Con <laughs> Omega. Omega. <laughs> You know, what they then need to do is have a crisis of Comic Cons on Infinite Earths <laughs> because we're now in a time paradox and they've got to figure out a way to do it. But every time they do it, they constantly make more and more time paradoxes. And so it's just they, a never ending series of crises. They schedule it so that like multiple panels are speaking in the same room at the same time. And some of them are from people in TV shows that are canceled and don't exist anymore or haven't been around for 40 years. That, that sounds like maximum comma carnage. And I would like to see that. Did I, can, I, can. I want you to comma kill yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then, oh, All right. then, wait. With that, at the end of the hey, year. Hey, come on. At the end of the year, Comic-Con comes back as the dark Comic-Con. Fine, fuck it. Forget, you know what? You ruined my- What yeah, is the no. Comic-Con? Yeah, we're not gonna did I the ruin it? The Dark Comic Con saga. Come on, that's okay. it. that's in 2023. Okay, we we have we have we have uh, completely squeezed the juice out of this joke. We're done, um, <laughs> as well as we're done with the news. So we're gonna turn it over to to Clark because oh. I think he's got something. Well, I realized oh, yeah, about 15 minutes ago, which is why I haven't been speaking much, that I. <laughs> forgot to tell you guys to bring um, a pen and paper. So what we're going to be doing this time, we'll do next week. No, it's fine, Britt. Um, so since oh. this is the last time we're dealing with WandaVision, WandaVision on our regular episodes, I want to start thinking about what would happen if other Marvel characters in the movies, what kind of sitcoms they could fall into and how they would interact with the characters in a certain sitcom. Like what? What would it be a good sitcom for Falcon to fall into? That kind of thing. Oh, I've got one idea. Yeah. Uh, for Captain America, it's only radio shows because it's the 1940s, so it's like Amos and Andy, uh, and like stuff like that. So, because TV didn't really exist back then. Hmm. I think someone like like it's a little bit different from your question, but someone like Hawkeye, if he was to be like put into TV, he would be running he would be the host of like those great American ninja challenges or like some physical competition oh, yeah. thing. And he's like, Oh, we've got Hawkeye as the special guest judge, whatever you've got to hit these three targets and do whatever physical challenges, salmon planks or whatever. Um, I think Omega Sentinel could be a great game changer for Battlestar Galactica. That's not an MCU movie character. You whatever. I'm just putting it all together. Clark. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. One day. Okay, fine. Then a regular Sentinel from X2 would show up. <laughs> Gross. Uh, for uh, the Black Widow, it wouldn't be again. Wouldn't be TV shows. It would be the all those like '90s dance movies like Step Up or uh you know i guess step up is the only one i really remember but uh or save the last dance because <laughs> it didn't they flash back that like when she was um oh, in Age of Ultron, when she was like yeah. learning how the ballerina stuff so like you know like she's like that's her thing like uh she she's like the the ballerina but like learns how to street dance by oh, like God. you know having an interracial relationship and like uh whatever <laughs> julia styles film that was i don't even remember any of them but 
uh, I think that Tony Stark would have like a home shopping network type show where they're just selling Stark weapons that have been decommissioned for people to just have as stuff around their home because they're they're not selling weapons anymore. They've got to do something with them. Let's remove all the ammunition and then give them to people as paperweights. I want to see, you know, those fat schlub attractive wife sitcoms that always exist. I want to see like, you know, fat Thor playing some sort of fat schlub. And then uh, even though she's a lesbian, Valkyrie is the wife and just she's clearly just sleeping with some other woman at the same time. And he's being a dick in his own stupid oh, schlub the- asshole way. Oh, on CBS, the King of Asgard. Yeah, Got yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Adam. Adam. Oh no. Oh, Adam just like Adam likes it so much. He's just posting that. Mwah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> oh, no. It's, hey, it's music you're, you're, to Adam's ears. Yeah. What What do we think? What do we? Oh my God, I can't even look at Adam right now. It's just too funny. What do you think Hulk Hulk's show would be? Oh, yeah! I, I want him to would... be the host of like, you know, Sham Wow or like Bill, you know, Bet Wan. Those weird commercials. What's his name? Billy Blanks. Is that his name? No. Sure. Oh, oh, oh! Billy Mays. Billy Mays. Yes, I want him to be Billy Mays do, here. Do sort of. Yeah. Do some sort of extra unimportant television. God, oh, Adam, you're back. The Hulk, the Hulk <laughs> would definitely uh, sell out and do like commercials for some product like, you know, uh, Tommy mattresses. Uh, you know, I used to get angry and agitated, but I'm no longer agitated with Tommy mattresses. Put that anger to sleep. Caitlin? <laughs> now all I can think of uh, is my pillow. I want him to be in charge of my pillow. Oh, God. <laughs> no, no. Um, I honestly think like the Guardians of the Galaxy characters could do like 60s and 70s sci-fi shows like Lost in Space, Star Trek, um, oh. you know, uh, like a Space 1999, like all those kinds of shows. I think that'd be kind of cool seeing them in, in a retro, like retro future where you can see all the, the wires and like the bad sets and everything. Adam, you're going to make a point. Yeah, I want uh, the ant, I was like the ant people, the Pym Tech folks in Fraggle Rock. Uh, and the Smurfs and David the Gnome and any number of small away weird woodland creatures that people can live with. I think Tony Stark that would idea. be good on an episode of the Muppets. <laughs> no, don't show that picture. That'll go on our website at some point or yeah. Instagram. Anyways. And it, yeah. So this was a kind of reasonable version of what was supposed to happen. Next week will be Clark's got something horrifyingly strange. So catch that okay. one. Well, hopefully all five of us can be on for that one. So let's move on to the comics. We had four issues this week. Uh, uh, one in Reign of X, one sort of an X book, and then two in King and Black. So we'll start with the X books. Uh, Hellions number 10 by Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia, the regular team. Um, as following up from the previous issue, Arcade has captured Mr. Sinister and the Hellions. Uh, and we find out that he is blackmailing Mastermind because he has his daughter, uh, aka Lady Mastermind, um, uh, as his hostage. Uh, and uh, we see like each of the Hellion kind of going through their own little fantasy worlds where like Wild Child is the alpha, uh, Psylocke <laughs> is with her daughter, um, Empath is at a dinner table where everybody is doing what he wants. Uh, Gray Crow is looks like he's in Vietnam, and Alex is pursuing a relationship with Madeline Pryor. Uh, I thought it was a really good issue. There was one uh, little thing. Apparently, we find out that um, uh, there was a, a bit of like a continuity error or a bit of a screw up because Mastermind has two daughters, and it was supposed to be the non-Lady Mastermind uh, daughter who was supposed to be held hostage because in like the 1995 miniseries, uh, Wolverine and Gambit she uh, hires like arcade to go after them so uh and he even refers okay. to he even refers to her by that first name rather than the other first name of lady mastermind martinique. so wow. martinique yeah whoops yeah well, well which, one, happen, which one are they going to do which one are they going to decide upon i guess the art speaks for itself so they got to go with lady mastermind right. i don't know i don't know brent 
uh, <clears throat> the economy and storytelling in this issue is fantastic because you get so much from such a little dialogue and these different mental scenarios. If this was the first issue of Hellions, you would know everything you need to know about the members of Hellions. Right. Um, and the villain in this is absolutely hysterical. I think he's so funny. I love that back and forth about confirm and Mr. Sinister yeah. is like, tries to repeat it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's also, it's just a great concept as well for dealing for, with someone like Mastermind. How do you make sure he's not tricking you? Uh, you have someone who's a remote. It's, it's fantastic. Adam? I just, yeah, I, everything about this fucking series just makes me so happy. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily like the quintessential like thing people think of when they think X-Men comics, but my God, is it so well written. It's always beautifully done. And there are so many like queer coded villains that you want to root for at all times that I really love about this. It's like every single, like if it's Mastermind Arcade, if it's Sinister, like everyone is the same catty bitch, but they all still have slight differences that make them so enjoyable. And this issue was made for me at the sheer fact there was literally a line said, oh, is it touching time? That <laughs> was just the most ridiculous, <laughs> weird out of like line of dialogue. That's like, I love, it's just such a quirky band of misfits. And it's, but like, it goes beyond just that kind of typical Suicide Squad bullshit. They're all interesting and engaging characters. And the sheer fact that they can make Quanon so wonderful after Fallen Angels was such a dud, I think really speaks volumes to Zeb's ability so like you said, use the economy of, uh, of building these characters so quickly and making them real, really real, essentially, versus some books have had like 18 issues and we're still like, that voice is off or I don't really understand their motivations. Like all of this makes so much sense. Kalen? Um, Arcade is a, a, an easy villain to get wrong. And I think Wells did a really nice job of getting him right uh, by like kind of combining the um the whimsy but also like the utter like you know like the fact that he's a psychopath i think combining those two and then also being able to contrast him with mr sinister because it's very easy like in a lesser writer you could see like you know uh just the two characters being way too similar so i really really appreciated that contrast clark just the the fact that he's ripping out Mr. Sinister's teeth, just just that visual, just of ripping someone else else's teeth and bloods everywhere is absolutely disgusting and primal and weird. It's just horrifying. At the same time, they're trying to bring humor into it at the same time, and then it's back to just blood drenched pain, which is very. I was going to say appealing. I didn't mean to say appealing, but I'm keeping it. Brent, <laughs> don't you guys just love that the internal document we saw in this issue was page two of a 13 page memo on the yes. loyalty protocol <laughs> don't don't make eye contact with me but don't not make any physical notion of my being there <laughs> i want you to tilt your head at an angle <laughs> if that's possible <laughs> all um, right we didn't mention we didn't mention nanny and, and like her world where all the babies she ever rescued were, were with her Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I, I'm very interested to see the evolution of the nanny orphan maker relationship because I think in the uh, the right before the storyline where they brought orphan maker back uh, from um, Cameron Hodge and, and the right, like he's going through like his adolescence phase um, and nanny has another like dependent that she's taking care of. And so she's starting to like move her attention to, to, to that. A uh, lot, lot of a lot of interesting ideas could could pop from there, Clark. Um, and next time is May fifth is when the next issue comes out. Before that, we're going to be doing a deep dive class X on Empath because it seems based on solicitations that that could be very important. Um, so I'm very excited for both the next issue and that podcast. Oh, very cool! All right, so let's move on to Demon Days X Men uh, by. Peach Momoko, who is a Japanese artist and writer. Um, it is a beautifully illustrated book of the X characters 
uh, set in feudal Japan. So you've got Psylocke and her trusty dog, Logan. Shocking, that's his name. Uh, the main antagonist is basically a snake that's been venomized. Uh, and you see uh, uh, Japanese analogs for Jubilee, uh, Hulk, and other characters. Um, I thought it was gorgeous, as I said. I think it was a very slight book. It reminded me a lot of the Marvel Mangaverse stuff that came out in the early 2000s. Right. where they were trying to find like sort of analogs of um, uh, various Marvel characters. But the fact that um, they actually got a Japanese creator to do this, uh, hopefully she doesn't turn out to be a white man that takes over uh, Marvel comics um, that, um, you know, uh, gives it a little bit of, uh, um, I don't know, a little bit more like um, credibility. What did you guys think? I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, I don't think it pushed the, we're trying to get some character to be exactly like an, like this version. Like the fact that Venom was totally not what we would think of Venom, you know, the weird fucked up snake that we have here. Um, I thought it was well enough done that it wasn't knowingly cloying where we're like, who's going to be showing up next? Right. Yeah. Jubilee wasn't, Jubilee wasn't too Jubilee-y to the point where it was absurd as fuck. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't put together that that was Jubilee until you said it, Ken. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Her name is Juju in the damn book. It's yeah, Juju. Well, I thought it was after the candy. I don't know. Juju B. <laughs> okay. All right. Or the, or the drag queen, Brett. I think uh, I, I liked it a lot. I kind of felt like this is the story. Like, if we stopped producing, you know, x-men and comic books and then there's like a period of like 70 years or 100 years or whatever and somehow those stories became like part of mythology this would be like the mythological retelling of that story and i kind of i thought it was fun it's not too it's not too heady it's not too complicated right now it's a it's a nice peaceful comic i did yeah i did it was one of those things where like content wise it wasn't like anything to write home about like i wouldn't run to tell someone else to read it but i enjoyed it and i teach Moko's art is absolutely fantastic i think it's just so beautiful and engaging um i'd like to see a lot more of it in many places um but and this is just one of those i think we always talk about it when we talk about vignette stories or like one shots or otherwise it just there wasn't enough like meat on the bones for me to really care but i did enjoy like perusing it and it felt more like an art book with a story rather than like a story that had great art kind of thing yeah yeah i agree i agree with you adam i would love to own this like when it's one collected in like an oversized format because like the kind of the watercolor uh artistic flair was really nice i noticed that the ending was almost like uh it was almost like um like a story within a story with like mariko uh you know being interrupted by that sort of headmistress woman and like the next issue is Demon Days Mariko. So what's her name? Sorry. That's that's their version of Black Widow. Oh, it's Black Widow. Oh, yeah, you, okay. you can see the, the, the hair. Yeah, the cover, especially. Oh, I, I totally missed that. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. well, so the, the next issue will be dealing with um, Mariko, their version of Black Widow, and then I think Nightcrawler as well. So very, and, very intrigued to see what happens there. And it won't be coming out till June. Okay. Well, it's called perfect. a saga. Yeah, it's like it's called a Demon's Day saga. So I hope it can lead to more a fuller storyline. But yeah, just any I'll I'll buy anything that Pichamoko puts together. I love this artwork. It's beautiful. All right. So uh, we had two King and Black tie-ins uh, this week. The first of which is Thunderbolts number three, the culmination of the miniseries by Matthew Rosenberg and Juan Ferreira. Ferreira. Uh, the Thunderbolts basically succeed in finding the second half of Century. Uh, and then they make some decisions of whether they should go back into the city or not. Uh, and um, you see um, Taskmaster uh, making two heel turns. So he's done a 360. Um, and this seems uh, like this is basically a backdoor pilot for uh, the next iteration of Thunderbolts, probably written by Matthew Rosenberg, that will probably last about 12 issues if that many but yeah. what did you guys think i mean i'm very pleased with it i'm i'm glad they didn't die i absolutely love batrock the lipper leaper 
the leper. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> when he jumps, his legs stay on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was very pleased with it. I don't. I do think there needs to be some more interesting characters if they're going to have a continued series to go off of him and Task Taskmaster. Um, Star isn't really up to the challenge in my mind for me, no. entertainment wise. Yep. Um, I don't know. I do love whenever Kings can. Excuse me. Um, anytime Kingpin gets like one upped, I'm always pleased with because he pisses me <laughs> off too hard. Yeah. Brent? Um, this team is ballsy enough and funny enough that, and I like their attitude enough to ignore how stupidly contrived this plot was. <laughs> uh, it is a shoddy story, but I still like it. And I like the idea that there are this group of kind of a uh, new flavor of assholes who might have a constantly rotating roster based off of who dies that particular issue. Kaylin, then Adam. Um, I love Batrock said, yeah, this is basically the plot of Weekend and Bernie's too. Right. And that wasn't a very good movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, just the sheer fact that the end panel is, um, uh, I forget the, I call him the plague doctor, but the doctor death or whatever, holding up sentries like wrapped together body as part of the team. I think is a, is a great indication of like how much I enjoy it. But yeah, this it's like this is a very tight, like nice and fun mini series. And I think what'll it'll have to be if there's gonna be like a more ongoing series to really survive, it'll have to be very similar to what I said for Hellions. Like they do have to give you a reason to care for some of these people. And I think you're right that, you know, beyond Taskmaster and Bodrag was just really fun, like Cowman, calling like everybody ridiculous names the whole time. Like he's fantastic, not comic relief. But I think that Star was like a little bit weaker. And I did like Pigment Figment was pretty funny, but they just need it. They're going to have to have a little bit more meat on the bones, I think, for us to really feel sustainably interesting. But uh, just as a little mini limited miniseries, this probably is like my favorite part uh, about this actual King in Black miniseries, I feel like, based on everything we've been reading so far. Brent. Brent, if this was like, uh, like you know, uh, if there was a superhero show where they had a TV show that they watched, this would be the TV show that they watched. Like, there's there's something here where I feel like it's a it's a great background thing rather than something that you know, as Adam put it, doesn't have enough meat on its bones. But still, I, sure. I feel like today is um, writers getting back into my good graces. And I think Rosenberg actually wrote something that I actually enjoyed finally for the first time in like three years. And I would like him to write a continuing Thunderbolt series. Kaylin? So it's funny you say that because um, Adam and I recorded and we released our um, Infinite Frontier for DC Comics uh, podcast uh, just today, in fact. And uh, I said during the whole Future State uh, run of like DC books where they're also kind of in the near future, uh, Matthew Rosenberg doing his like uh, version of Grifter set within Gotham City was my mm -hmm. favorite part of it. So um, I, I completely agree with you. It's just like I think he's redeemed himself after that really horrible run of Uncanny X-Men uh, two years ago. All right. So let's move on to the last uh, comic this week as, as well as another King in Black tie-in. It is a one-shot of Wiccan and Hulkling. It's written by Teeny Howard of Excalibur fame, and it's drawn by a queer artist named Luciano uh, Vecchio. Uh, and we actually met him at FlameCon in 2019, and I got a couple of prints from him. So uh, I think he's a phenomenal artist. Um, I really like his like sort of like cartoony, uh, but like kind of sexy uh, 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 looks that he gave to both Teddy and to Billy. Um, and the one shot really just sort of deals with them uh, finally having their honeymoon over on uh, the beaches of Little Chandelar, I want to say, or Mini Chandelar. <laughs> Baby Chandelar. Uh, Baby Chandelar. I mean, it's barely a King in Black uh, tie-in. It's just, it's what I call a Red Skies tie-in. It's just a bunch of the symbiotes are there, like, you know, uh, causing uh, causing a wreck. But um, uh, we see the new accuser who is serving as the bodyguard for both uh, Teddy and Billy. And she's, I think she's a lovely addition. Um, I, I thought this was a delightful little one shot, but Clark. 
No, I, I purposely, I, I agree. Um, I said the fact that many many writers are getting to my good graces, the fact that Teeny Howard wrote this and I really enjoyed it. Yep. It makes me realize, as once you said multiple times, she either doesn't care about the character she's writing in Excalibur or they were just they were just shunted at her or she's just not good at them. But when she wants to write something, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. When she does the Excalibur characters that aren't the characters on the team, it's great. When she did Wiccan and Hulkling, it's great. Um, when she did the Deathlock one, which also had Wiccan and Hulkling, suddenly she's like yes. the, the go-to writer for Wiccan and Hulkling, and she does a really yeah. good job at you know their voices and making them interesting. Yeah. Brent. I don't know if it's like because of the nature of the relationships that she's writing that like maybe this is closer to her wheelhouse than the other stuff that happens in Excalibur. This to me felt like, oh, what a great additional episode of She-Ra. Like, this has got <laughs> right. like a little bit of silliness, a little bit of fun, a little bit of action, um, and some cute gay romance. Like, I like the, I like the interaction between uh, uh, Hulkling and Wiccan. I think it it was it was a nice issue, um, if unnecessary. Adam. Yeah, no, I, I, nor, I think if it wasn't as well written and put together, uh, as you've all said, it really would have fell flat. Cause right, not, there's not a whole lot here that I care about, nor does it really give me that much more forward momentum in their relationship. I think L'Oreal, is that mm -hmm. what it is? Yeah. Uh, like she adds a ton of X factor to like making it fun, even more fun and interesting. Um, but in general, yes, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the, the whole idea of this mini planet only being like a, a resort. And so it's like, they have no security. They don't know what the fuck is going on, like what they're supposed to do. I just thought that was, uh, was fun. And yeah, it was just an enjoyable, it was enjoyable content overall, if, if unnecessary. But, uh, and I thought the artwork was really cute. It's like a great, like gay teen comic, right? Like that I would recommend this to anyone who, I don't know, is like, 16 coming out and just wants to have a really good time reading like queer media i think it's a great issue for that and really celebrating a lot of that clark no brent what's your little thing no 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 it's not a little thing it's a question <laughs> well you're one finger all right anyways i think without us really realizing it, it's an incredibly important issue because it's the first time we really get what the shiar think about the Cree skull Skull alliance for sure and the fact For that sure. they're like, you, you seem like a good king. And then they said, basically, we screw over good kings. And, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We what a hello. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Um, I, I just like it. it, it what was the, um, the empire issue where they actually not get married, but like they have the weird consort issue that Teeny Howard also wrote. It, it's a good book into that empire um, issue as well. Um, the other thing, very important, Champagne Bot is one of the great characters ever created. <laughs> Love it. Marvel Comics. He Love keeps it. He's got its flames. He's a perfect character. Brent. <laughs> no notes. Um, Mary Fuck Kill, Hulkling Wiccan, Lori L. The Accuser. Uh, I think I would have to marry Wiccan, fuck Hulkling, and probably kill the accuser but only because oh, i don't know her very well uh, okay. because i want to fuck hulkling and i want to marry wiccan it's just it's by default i'm totally marrying the accuser because she seemed like she'll do anything for you and i'm like take uh, awesome and i would fuck hulkling Same. And i would kill wiccan whoa no you you fuck wiccan and kill hulkling no, Hulkling is hot as fuck. <laughs> they're like when they're like I, I, on the beach. All I wanted, I was like, I just want to cuddle up on that. <laughs> I didn't really think. I mean, Wiccan's always been cute, but the, the, now that he has a bit of hair on his chest, like literally, I, I I'm more into it. I was very <laughs> yeah. surprised because it wasn't like full twink body anymore. Well, you'll should know this. Lori L has a full chest of hair. Okay, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I like a good in between. That's too much for me. I'm killing her. Well, yeah, yeah when, that's you see, when you see L'Oreal in her bikini, I'm just like, oh, she's fucking ripped. Like, she is, she is very hot as well. I would I would marry Champagne Bot, though. I feel oh, like yeah. he, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. A thousand percent. <laughs> I would marry and fuck Champagne Bot. Uh, but uh, I want to, like, just um, uh, focus in on what Clark said about, like, the Shi'ar, because I didn't even think about that, that being the first time that they 
acknowledge him as the uh, sovereign of the Kree Skrull Alliance because they're going to follow up a lot of that in Guardians of the Galaxy because mm-hmm. Teddy and uh, Billy are both going to be part of that as well as probably in Sword because if you remember the Coda of Empire was uh, like the whole like the whole Kree Skrull like alliance is just in shambles. Bill, uh, and Teddy's like, oh my god, oh my god, like I, you know, uh, this all came true, like what my grandmother said. And then you had the introduction of Sword, uh, this version of Sword, there to like kind of pick up the pieces of like what's happening in the galaxy. So I want some like like inter intergalactic like you know empire uh, clashing like subterfuge happening. Uh, like I cannot wait for that. Oh, all these little one shots are just building in like probably the most beautiful way. Just these little yeah. things that, as, that seem unimportant. The fact that yeah. suddenly each time they're really, really, really important. I'm very excited about. I yeah, and I'm glad that Al, you, and Al Ewing is going to be able to like shepherd that. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, Adam? The other thing I was going to say too, because this is, it's one of these issues and I feel like it's come up a few times. It's like, I kind of like when the artists draw Null as a little bit more androgynous. Maybe it's just like the very long hair. But I feel like there's a lot of like feminine quality sometimes to the way people draw Null's uh, Null's face, and I'm like that. I was like as I was reading the comic, I was like, will there be Lady Null at some point? Since there's always a lady version of every fucking character, every villain. Um, I don't know. It was just like an interesting, uh, and I wasn't sure. Maybe it, it might even be the same artist if Luciano had done other stuff that, because who did? I was thinking maybe a more like Silver Surfer Black. I feel like in that it was very, it was also very androgynous. No. I just tried more. Yeah, just I just thought it was a fun, it was like an interesting thing, like how people translate him to to Paige essentially. He looks a lot like um, Clark. Maybe the only one who knows his character, but uh, there's this like fantasy author named Michael Moorcock who uh, created a bunch of different characters. One of which was Elric, who was kind of like a dying elvish prince, who was like very like an al- he's like albino and very like sickly and pale. That's the way that uh, Null looks to me. Uh, but uh, that's our comics this week. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to have uh, a, a few X-Books, but also the premiere of Children of the Atom, which we haven't been terribly excited about on this podcast, but it is written by Vita Ayala, who is doing tremendous work on New Mutants. Um, and so hopefully uh, that book will be a lot of fun to read as well. So Brent, I'll turn it over to you to close us out. I'll say I'm excited for it. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you can find us on uh, Twitter at Homo Superior X. You can find us on Instagram. We're Homo Superior Podcasts or just Homo Superior, whatever. We're one of those. Podcasts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're wherever podcasts are found. Uh, we've been Homo Superior. Be sure to check out our review of the finale and totality of WandaVision, which is going to be released next Wednesday. Thanks for listening, fuckos. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>